Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gina. And I'm Nicole. And today we are dishing about best strategies for getting your baby set up for good sleep habits starting at birth and through the toddler years. But first, as always, let's catch up. Nicole, what's new? In the holiday spirit, uh, we had a retirement party. I mean, whatever that means in COVID times. Uh, I work today mm-hmm. and uh, the guy retiring, his wife informed me he's not really a cake guy. He's more of a cinnamon roll guy. And I was like, all right, I cannot make... Paula Deen's, you know, cinnamon rolls from scratch twice in December. That's that with Buckeyes. It would just send me over the edge. So I used a frozen variety. They turned out actually quite good, uh, nice. but it just leaves me wanting the real deal uh, Christmas morning. Um, I am just really kind of starting to Jones for vacation, like really, really bad. I mean, just yeah. like cocktails and sleeping in and just escaping life now that we've canceled two vacations. And Mark was trying to get me to like reschedule patients and meetings and stuff like the week of Christmas so that we could go somewhere because his parents are available to watch our kids. I'm like, no, dude, like it's no. I mean, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Like we made it this far. No, we're not going on vacation. So I think we're going to do one night in Indianapolis. In a oh, hotel. Okay. I was like, OK, I can I can handle room service in a hotel. Like that sounds fine. Yeah. Um, and Gina, happy yeah. birthday to our podcast. Yeah. You know what? You pointed that out and I didn't even. So wait, is it two years? Two One years. Year. I think I today. Today's the 14th. I think we published our first episode on December 14th of 2018. I cannot believe we've been doing this for two years. I Have you ever gone back and listened to our first one? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Okay. I think I recorded that on the on the floor in our kitchen. I think you did too. <laughs> and it was, you know, we have a very open kitchen, so I'm sure the echo was not good. Ay, ay, ay. We've come so far. We've come we so have. far. Happy birthday, Dietitian's Dish podcast. Yes, All because of you. This was your idea, Gina. It was. And I am so thankful I, I thought of you as the perfect co-host because no one else would be as, as amazing as you are. And I, and I mean that truthfully. Um, Z's. <laughs> oh, we're blushing. <laughs> we we need to have a cake. Okay, first of all, who doesn't love cake? I mean, come on, a cinnamon roll, please. I'd be like, okay, how can I make this into a cake? Well, I, I'm thinking of two things when you told that story. One, did you guys actually have? I know you said it was a COVID retirement, but did you guys have a party? Like, how 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 did that go down? Okay, how this went down was I took everybody's Panera order, placed it for pickup, picked it up. We, I wasn't actually planning for us to eat together, but um. Our director was there, our executive director, and she's like, let's just move tables like as far. It, it was a large conference room and there was only like six or seven of us. Sure. And so we just moved the tables, as I mean, mo- way more than six feet away from one another. And we sat there and ate lunch. Nice. Like yelling yeah. across the room. Hey, happy <laughs> retirement. What are your plans <laughs> next week? You know, it's just- well, that's good that you could do that. We've had two people in our department retire and one of them was with us for like 40 years. Mm-hmm. And we put together a little, you know, video montage of, you know, away messages, but nothing else. And I felt, I mean, I felt bad, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah. What, what are you going to do? Yeah. No, good question and simple answer, but what's going on Sounds in Columbus? Like right. 
Well, I did. I did finally make Buckeyes. And I will tell you, I was a little bit nervous about making them. I know I've made them before, but a long time ago. And I probably, not as a mom, I have not made them since my kids were born. I think the last time I made Buckeyes was with my mom. And so, of course, I say I don't remember them being difficult to make, but probably because my mom did most of it. I did not find them very difficult to make. Now, I will say I took your advice. I was lucky because it was cold out. I made sure to do it in the morning. So actually, we made them on Saturday and it was going to be a high of 60 that day. Okay, so I'm like, okay, we're going to do it this morning while it's still 30 degrees because you said, you know, put them outside. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, we made the dough. We rolled the balls. We put them out in the um, in the garage. We shut the garage and put them out there for about two hours, which was perfect. Uh, and then brought it back in, dipped them in the chocolate. And I have to say it was pretty seamless and they're delicious. And they're not, you know, I, I told you uh, they wouldn't be perfect, but I mean, they're they're pretty close to perfect. I wasn't really. They are. Pe- they look fantastic. Right. I didn't I didn't try real hard to make sure that the circle was a perfect size. Like I sometimes I dipped them all the way in and just left a little bit of, you know, peanut butter showing. Other times I just dipped them halfway because the kids were also helping. I didn't want to have to redo theirs. I mean, I'll just let them do their thing. So mm-hmm. or whatever. But they're they're delicious and I will probably make them again next year. Uh, speaking of vacations, we did book our Hilton Head house. Uh, actually, my my uncle booked it. He He took the reins in booking the house. Uh, So we're going to Hilton Head in June, which is very exciting. So this is in lieu of our April Disney trip. We decided Mm -hmm. that we had to do something a little bit later. You know, they say that I I think I heard a stat that maybe like 70% of people should be vaccinated by June if everything goes smoothly. Right. I mean, that is that's the there's a big if right there. But, you know, it would be nice. I'm not I'm not expecting to not have to wear masks and not have to be really, really clean when we stop places and, you know probably still going to be some restaurants that aren't open. I'm sure things aren't going to be back to normal, but we won't be in Disney. And I think, I think I, I feel really good again about making that decision to move it back a year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, reading a really good book. Have you read this, Nicole? Uh, when We Were Yours? Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you like it? I did. Yeah. You said that like, okay, I will tell you. It's I a, It's a heavy read. This book. It's a heavy read. It is definitely heavy. Yes, I would agree with that. Actually, we also started watching The Queen's Gambit, and it kind of reminds me a little bit of that in a, in a way, because there's an orphanage. It, there was an mm-hmm. orphanage involved, really. That's really the only thing. Uh, but uh, I love this book. So it goes back to the early 1900s, and then he's coming back to the current time. So there's kind of a mystery involved, and it's really a big family secret type mystery. And I'm I'm really hoping that the family secret at the end isn't something super lame. Wait, okay. when we were yours or before we were yours? When we were yours. When we were yours, I think is what it's called. Okay, then no, I haven't read it. Sorry. Do you know what I'm talking about? They, um, they're they're in Tennessee and now I'm going to look. Uh, oh, you're right. It is before we were yours. Okay, because you started we talking yours. about an orphanage. I'm like, that's definitely the book I remember, but yeah. I'm just going to confirm. Yeah, when it's we were before. yours. No, it's before. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay. So yes, it's before we were yours and it is, I am loving this yeah. book. Loving it, loving it, loving it. Actually, my uncle recommended it and I'm like, I'm not sure if we're going to have the same taste in books, but I I would say this was this was a good one. A good suggestion. All right. And then lastly, not an update, but we have a Q&A coming up. So might as well start asking early to send your questions. It could be anything nutrition related, wellness related. 
family related, personal related, doesn't matter. We'll take anything. And tomorrow <laughs> we got a couple already. They were good. Oh, good. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so before we begin, just a quick favor to ask if you like the podcast, please write us a review. Reviews on iTunes are everything to us and they really help us reach more people. So we'd appreciate it very much. Okay, so our podcast, as you know, is a whole family wellness podcast. And we've said it before. I know I've said this and I still say it. Uh, sleep might be one of the most important parts of the wellness puzzle, if not the most. I would almost sometimes say it trumps diet, you know, crazy mm-hmm. enough. Um, so parents with little ones tend to struggle getting good sleep especially when they don't set their kids up with good sleep habits. Today we have with us Hallie Marquez, who is a certified pediatric sleep consultant and who is one of the many women who are expecting a baby now in this year of COVID, who is, I guess I should say, and I would actually, I'm pretty sure it's December now, she's had that baby. <laughs> we interviewed her um, a, a few weeks ago, so I'm pretty sure that by the time this comes out, she has already had her her baby. I think she was due in, in November, which is funny because I have not seen that posted. So I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to look for that because she's got some. She's got her her son is adorable. Her first son, who's I think he's three, the cutest little boy you've ever seen, other than Cameron, of course. <laughs> it's predicted there will be a baby boom with so many couples forced to be with each other more than ever before. Why not take advantage of this extra time, if you know what I mean? Hallie is going to share some helpful information on setting up good sleep habits from birth and the importance of starting to build those sleep habits earlier rather than later. So on to our interview with Hallie. So Hallie, welcome back to the show. Uh, the show, <laughs> that's hilarious. So you were on the podcast a while ago. Uh, so tell us what's been going on since the last time we spoke back in episode, I can't believe this, 27. Well, I I think that was probably, gosh, maybe like a year ago. It was definitely warmer out and less drizzly. So um, <laughs> I would say it's it's been quite a while. Um, it was and definitely... Yeah, you were living here, near, closer to me at least. Yes. So yeah, well, then it's definitely been a full year. Um, and, uh, I am now in a new house in a new city, but still in, in greater Columbus mm-hmm. and, um, have a almost three-year-old and, um, a new little baby on the way in November. Awesome. Very, very exciting. Yeah. And I was going to ask, you said, are you still doing, I know before you were working full-time somewhere outside of the sleep consulting space yes. and they were doing your thing on the side. Is that, is that still what you're doing? Yep. I work in the hotel industry, which is definitely an interesting place to be mm-hmm. in during this time. Yeah, so yeah. it's a, it's a tough industry. So, um, those make for hard days. So it's nice to also balance that out with, uh, you know, helping families. And that's usually a, a little bit more of a cheery spot to be in during this weird time that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So Hallie, can you tell our listeners a bit about you and your practice? Sure. Um, so I uh, live here in Columbus with my family and um, I have worked in the, the hotel and hospitality industry my entire career. Um, but then after having my son Lane in February, 2018, um, we were introduced to the world of not sleeping and sleep is extremely important to me. Um, I am known amongst my coworkers, my family and friends that you do not text me after 9 p.m. because I am asleep. 
And so it was kind of one of those things that I just thought would never happen to me. That was just not the way the world would work because I needed to sleep. And Lane came along and we made it to um, that lovely four month sleep regression window. And he had been doing really well and he backtracked and I was up again many times a night. And so I sought out um, the help of a sleep consultant and fell in love with kind of the the logic puzzle that is pediatric sleep. And um, once I was able to get Lane sleeping um, through the night again, I started helping my friends and then realized that I could um, have some further education in it and become certified. And I joined the SleepWise team um, in April of 2019. And so I've been doing this for about a year and a half. And I think I'm on my 40th um, kiddo. And it's just been a really great experience. Interesting. Oh, I remember that four, four month sleep regression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it is a wild ride. Uh, so can you talk <laughs> just a bit about why a baby's sleep schedule um, is backwards when they're first born? Yes. So a lot of what I, you'll actually find a lot of times when you talk to moms like really late in that third trimester and they really start to become more aware of when babies moving around that it seems to be right when mom gets in bed, that's when baby is like rearing to go. Um, and for whatever reason that seems to happen the same way once they're born. And so we often hear our doctors say, you know, start paying attention when baby's active in those last couple of weeks, that's often when you'll see them most active, um, once they're, um, born. And, Um, We're not really sure why that is, but as baby tries to um, juggle their circadian rhythm, um, it's often flip-flopped. And so that's why we always tell parents, one of the first things you can work really hard to do is to try to um, realign day and night and try to help them with that confusion. Because what we often see is that kids will extend sleep during the day, but we really want them to extend sleep during the night. Um, and so that's like step one, like newborn 101 is how do we, you know, help them distinguish day and night. Interesting. I, I can actually remember very well crawling into bed with both of my kids. And that was almost like the first time I'd really felt them kick. I mean, I I felt them Mm -hmm. kick throughout the day here and there, but when I was laying in bed, watching TV at night with, you know, Nick was when they would just go crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that does actually make sense because it, did, I think, tend to be also when they were most active, at least uh, for the first, you know, six yeah. or so months. That's interesting. Not ideal for anyone, really, but, <laughs> but that's the way it works. Right when you want to relax. That's mm-hmm. just being a parent, right? <laughs> okay, so here's a question. I've always wondered this. So I actually added this question because I'm just really, really curious. Does it matter how a woman sleeps during her pregnancy? So in other words, if a woman has a really consistent, good, like it sounds like you do, a sleep schedule, <laughs> is there anything to the theory that will actually make for a better sleeping baby? I'm not sure that I've ever heard that there's a direct correlation, but I would say just in my experience with working with parents, if you have your own routine um, for sleep, I think that it becomes um, a little bit more natural to try to strive for that for your children. Um, I find that parents that come and reach out for sleep consulting that are a little bit more laissez-faire and they're just kind of like, you know, we don't really want to be on a schedule. That's totally fine. 
Um, but it's, it's really hard for kids to function that way. And so I find that parents, moms or dads who are regimented in their own schedules and bedtime routines, um, tend to want that for their kids, mostly because it also benefits them too. Um, but so I don't know that there's any science behind it that I'm familiar with or, or how one impacts the other, but I do find that if that's the parent's kind of how they function, um, it often correlates with their kids. And then that actually sets them up for a better sleep foundation than being a little bit more lackadaisical about it. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense, actually. So it's not really a cause, a causal factor. It's more correlation. I like think the that sacred yeah. time, you know, yeah. like yeah. honor thy sleep. <laughs> yes. We always say honor the nap in our house. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I actually took a nap today. I, I, I was at <laughs> home with one of my early. I came home early and because one of my page had long stories. She had some GERD issues anyway. So I was so, so tired and I never take naps. And I was like, Paige, can I just rest my eyes for 15 minutes? And she, she let me, I couldn't believe it. She's like, are you going to set an alarm? I'm like, no, I'm not going to set an alarm. Anyway, she's, she's sick. She's fine. All right. Here's the next question. And then this is really uh, the meat of the interview, I, I think. So it, it does sure. sound like, and you had brought this up and I think it's a really good point that we're going to have a COVID baby boom, which makes sense with all the quarantine with our significant others. So let's help those who may need it. What are your tips for setting up good sleep habits from the get-go, basically once they're born um, and then through th- throughout the infant infant months and beyond, I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's, you know, if one, one good thing came out of COVID, it's that hopefully we'll have lots of uh, holiday babies this year. Um, and so the first thing we kind of touched on a little bit, um, really helping baby distinguish daytime versus nighttime. I think one of the things that happens for new moms, especially we're tired, we are so exhausted. And so when baby starts taking those longer stretches during the day, we're like, Oh, this is great. I can take a nap. I can do the laundry. I could take a shower, you know, whatever you want to do in that time. And so we tend to take advantage of that. But remember the trade-off is you're not going to get it at night. They can't, they can't do those long stretches all the time. So I think one of the things that's really important is just to be mindful of, you know, being realistic. If you're going to take those long stretches during the day, they're going to need to eat during the night and the stretches won't be as long because they've got to take the calories at some point. So I think sometimes we forget about the fact that you're so in, interested and in tune to either the food or the sleep and you kind of forget that they go, they go together. Um, and so when you're thinking about, um, daytime and nighttime, we always try to break it down in 12 hours. So 12 hours a day, 12 hours a night, the easiest thing you can do to help a baby distinguish is to pick a start time every day that you are saying, okay, this is when that 12 hour of daytime starts for a lot of people that's six 30 or seven in the morning. Um, much later than seven 30 is hard for babies because again, we're trying to set that circadian rhythm and that's a natural process that aligns a lot with daylight. So when you're really pushing, especially as we get into those winter months and it's really dark, you know, late into the morning, um, pushing too much later than that can kind of throw kids off and it's not usually very successful. So I always recommend like 6.30 to 7 a.m. And just saying, okay, this is when our day starts. Try to be consistent in starting the day at that time within 30 minutes every day. 
And if it's light outside and you can expose baby to natural light, that's perfect. If it's, you know, the middle of January and it's still dark at 8.30, then maybe this is just bringing them out of the room and down into a family space like the kitchen or living room, getting lights on and really just kind of showing them, hey, it's daytime um, and really introducing them um, to the day with lots of light. Um, so that's that's the first tip um, that I think a lot of people kind of overlook or maybe take for granted. Um, at least for me, it was as a nursing mom and the wake time is so short um, for new babies. You know, we're talking like 45 minutes. Well, heck, by the time I got him out of bed, got him changed, nursed him, 45 minutes had already gone by. So it was just easier for me to just do it in his room in the dark and then I could climb back in bed. Um, but sometimes it actually sets you back a little bit in establishing that daytime start. Would um, you, Hallie, I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay. When you're yeah. saying to start the morning around 630, 730 with, mm -hmm. and if it's daylight, open the blinds and all that. I yeah. remember someone telling me that if they're napping or if they're still sleeping to maybe bring them into a room with lots of light or open the blinds, even in their room, uh, maybe this would be further along, like after they're a few months old. Would you suggest that? So when you're saying, you know, show them lots of light, are you saying when they're awake or when they're asleep or both? Oh, good question. I think maybe what you mean more so is a lot of times people say to let babies nap in the daylight because you don't want them to only be able to sleep in a dark space. Um, so like oh, during okay. the day, just have them in daylight all the time. Um, at least I hear that question a lot come to me as well. You know, can I have baby nap in daylight and be awake? you know, having their wake time and daylight. Um, what I would, in, I would recommend is yes, during wake time, um, which is like I said, very short windows of time when they're young, um, having that in daylight in where there's lamps and other lights and action, um, not necessarily TV, but you know, if there's another kid running around or a pet or there's, you know, somebody's on the phone, we want them to be around your normal household sounds. Um, and then for when it is time to go to sleep, um, even though we're trying to show baby that this is daytime, most of us aren't super successful sleeping our best sleep in broad daylight. So giving baby a darker room, if not a blacked out room, um, is still ideal for the time that they're sleeping. And you will find that newborns, and this has a lot to do with that four-month sleep regression, newborns can sleep very easily in broad daylight. They can sleep just about anywhere, mm -hmm. but that mm -hmm. does fade over time. And I always remind parents, just think about yourself. It's really not a whole lot different. Most of us need it to be a little bit darker or a little bit cooler or something to get to sleep in the middle of the day. And our children are really no different. Mm -hmm. okay. And I'm sorry, one more thing. So you were sure. saying, I, and I think I talked about this last time I interviewed you, mm -hmm. my, how my daughter was, I mean, she slept all the time and mm -hmm. I can remember the whole time she would sleep during the day for hours, like six hours straight. And I remember someone telling me you have to wake her up to feed her or you have mm -hmm. to wake her up because, um, she's not going to sleep at night. Well, first mm -hmm. of all, she was growing just fine. She mm -hmm. was peeing, pooping. She had all the things mm -hmm. she would still sleep through the night at six weeks. So I guess what I'm saying is, is it always necessary? When do you think it is absolutely necessary to wake a sleeping baby in the middle of the day, especially <laughs> a newborn when they're sleeping too long? 
Um, okay, so there's two answers to this question. The first is that if your child hasn't reached birth weight or they're in the low percentile or there's a concern about weight gain, you should always prioritize feeding and to, to ask and follow pediatrician's guidelines for that. Now, for kids, there are I actually have a great example of a friend that just had her second baby and, you know, she was adamant about good sleep. And it was a very similar situation where she was texting me and saying, hey, this is so great. You know, she slept nine weeks or excuse me, nine hours um, overnight. And this baby was only five weeks old. And so the one thing that I had to remind her is I know how satisfying that feels to you. But just remember babies still need the same amount of milk every day. So even if for a couple of days you get these really long stretches or, you know, she's gaining fine, she had already doubled in birth weight. So like everything was fine on paper. Eventually that usually catches up. And so you'll have these really spiky growth spurts where um, you'll have like a couple of days of like lots of sleep, and maybe they're not eating a whole bunch. And then all of a sudden they'll be eating like crazy. And sure enough, baby's up every two hours overnight, trying to make up for these calories that they hadn't gotten over the past couple of days. So it doesn't mean that you're necessarily doing anything wrong, but sometimes, um, especially I think when this is a second or third or fourth child and parents are a little bit more lax about they're not like micromanaging everything because it's not their first go around. They're just kind of like letting things happen that sometimes you can fall into that trap. And it also just depends on the kid. If you have a child that's really laid back and really likes to sleep and that's kind of what their body's internalizing and prioritizing, and they're still meeting their weight goals, then yeah, you might find yourself like, okay, well, this is working out fine. And I guess what I would say to that is to just be cognizant that if that starts to go backwards, there's usually a pretty obvious reason for it. And it's that they eventually needed to make up those calories. And in order to do that, because their stomachs are only so big, they have to feed more often. It's not that you can just double the volume in one feed. Right. That makes sense. So there's kind of, kind of two answers to that, I guess. Um, Yeah. Thanks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. One follow-up question to that. Sure. If the baby's formula fed, does that change it just a bit? Oh, good question. Um, The only thing that I really have to say about um, breastfeeding versus formula fed and how it relates to sleep is that um, there's no measuring cup for a breastfed baby. Um, And so that can make us feel a little bit less confident as parents and caregivers and as sleep consultants, as far as making sure that baby is, we always want to make sure baby's fed. That's always our priority. So when we don't have a measuring cup, it's kind of hard to know. So we have to use guidelines of how long they fed versus how old they are and how that correlates. Um, so really, as it relates to sleep, it doesn't matter if it's a formula fed baby or an exclusively breastfed baby or some combination of the two. Um, we can really set similar sleep expectations. It's just that it's a little bit easier to manage when you have a measuring cup and you know exactly how much baby took. And whether that's pumped or formula, Um, the quality of formula milk, we don't necessarily find because sometimes you can get these, um, you know, super formulas or whatever that people feel like it fills them up more than a breastfed baby that that doesn't necessarily. That's not necessarily true that a formula fed baby can sleep longer stretches than uh, a breastfed baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think we've interrupted you so many times. So <laughs> you okay. want to always, other questions so, always pop up. <laughs> so the, the, the other tips for really kind of getting your newborn set up with good sleeping habits. Yes. Um, well, the other thing I was just going to mention, we've kind of, kind of grazed over it a couple of times is just that, um, I always like to tell parents, um, and I'm sure you guys, if, if it wasn't true with your own children, you know, someone that you go to visit baby and baby's been up for like two or three hours, you know, being passed around and talked to And everyone always means, well, they have good intentions. They want to love baby, cuddle baby, see baby. And I keep saying, you know, baby's 45 to 60 minutes of wake time is really all that newborn babies can handle. And so when they're up for two or three or more hours, um, you're pushing baby into a state of overtiredness. And this is when we especially start to see that witching hour in the evening, just get really nasty. Um, and so my easiest rule of thumb for new parents is baby should be sleeping more hours in a day than not. So if the baby is zero to three months old, we're talking 14 to 17 hours of sleep in a 24 hour period is average. So even if you have a low sleep needs baby, you're still at 50% of the day they should be sleeping. Mm -hmm. So that I think often takes parents by surprise. And when I often take on new babies as clients, I hear about these long wake time stretches and mom and dad are like, well, I can't get baby down. Well, it's because they're exhausted and overtired babies are the worst overtired children, period. Overtired people, period, (laughs) is the worst situation to be in when it comes to sleep. So, yeah, um, that's a really easy rule of thumb for new parents to keep in mind is just more sleep than not in a 24 hour period. And that 45 to 60 minute wake time. I mean, you're in that for quite a few weeks after baby's born before they can stretch past an hour. Okay. So you would say that's about a month or two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Although that witching hour seems to last for. Oof. Oh, witching <laughs> hour. I, yeah. It, you know, it kind of changes um, as kids get older. I think you'll find parents of toddlers also have witching hour. It's just different. It's yeah. they're fussy, they're cranky. And for them, it's usually like, they missed snack time and they're hungry or they didn't get the attention they needed or, you know, that, that changes into something different. Um, but that evening time before like dinner and bedtime can just be rough at all kinds of ages. Oh gosh. You're telling me. I think my <laughs> hips are still out of line from carrying a child on my hip and making dinner for like four straight mm-hmm. years. Oh my God. You're probably right. <laughs> Good for you. I don't think I, I could do that. <laughs> I'd be like, here you go, Nick. What was Mark doing? Come on. Jeez. Working probably. <laughs> All right. So Hallie, can you remind us, I know you talked about this on the last episode, but I think it's a really mm-hmm. good reminder and probably something that you want to talk about for setting up good sleep habits, but sleep props. Tell us a little bit about oh, yeah. uh, what you recommend, if anything at all. Sure. Great question. And I think there's some surprising ones in here. Um, Sleep props in general would be defined as anything that a child is dependent on to fall asleep or stay asleep. And so usually I think people jump to, okay, well, a sleep prop might be a pacifier or um, being nursed to sleep or a bottle, bottle fed to sleep. But they can also be things like, um, what are some ones I've had recently? Obviously, rocking is a really common one, especially with grandparents. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I find that to be a very common grandparent uh, method of getting a child to sleep. Um, special songs or um, lullabies on a sound machine are not ideal. Um, they can usually cause problems. We like it to be a, just a static noise that doesn't really have a pattern to it. Um, but some other ones that people don't always think about are just mom and dad's presence. Um, and so this is often seen with older kids like, um, you know, my three-year-old can't stay in their bed unless I lay beside them. Um, so then mom or dad's physical presence becomes a sleep prop. Um, or, um, another common one that I've had recently is fingers through the crib rail so that baby can hold on to mom or dad's fingers. <laughs> um, so these are all examples, but as you can tell, the, the thread that ties them together is that all of these things are required for the child to fall asleep or they need them to get back to sleep and, or, so, um, that's the definition of a sleep prop and some examples of them. And what we always say is. Children need to learn independent sleep. Most of us do not um, have sleep props as adults. At some point, we shed those. Um, But what often happens for parents is if they don't start the independent sleep journey from the get-go, at some point, you have to remove the prop because it becomes a problem. Mom and dad are tired of replacing something or um, mom wants to stop nursing and nursing's the prop, you know, et cetera. It could run all kinds of scenarios. Um, and that's where the trouble starts is they try to remove it, it backfires. And now the child doesn't have independent sleep skills and mom and dad don't want to keep providing this resource anymore. So now we're kind of in a stalemate of how do we move forward? So um, that's often when the sleep consultants are called in or it's at a point where that prop isn't working for the child anymore, but mom and dad don't know what else to do in exchange. So question is co-sleeping or like sleeping with mom, for example, this is a question for my brother. Um, Is, (laughs) is a parent a prop or is that a completely different beast? Because at almost two, my niece basically does not sleep without her mother. Mm -hmm. Parents absolutely can be props. Now I will tell you that um, there are some, there are some supporters. um, The world health organization and a lot of um, lactation consultants do support co-sleeping for nursing families. Mm-hmm. Um, we at Sleepwise and I as a sleep consultant follow the AAP's guidelines, which supports uh, room sharing, but not bed sharing. Um, and so I think that that's one of those things where a parent has to decide um, in, in, in the end, you have to decide what's the best choice for your family. And so from a sleep consultant's perspective and from mine personally, Um, We align with the AAP, which says, you know, room sharing is great. They recommend it up until a year. They highly recommend it up until six months. Um, But we would not recommend uh, co-sleeping or bed sharing at any point um, for a lot of different reasons. Safety related as it relates to AAP, but to specifically answer your question um, that, yes, it absolutely can become a prop. Mm hmm. Kelly, I have a lot of friends and I'm sure a lot of listeners are thinking, okay, well, I do nurse my infant to sleep because it's peaceful. Oh, a lot of people it's do. our time together, mm-hmm. right? And, yeah. you know, for me, I will say when my kids nursed, they never fell asleep. It was very rare. So it's hard for me to understand this, but I've had, I have lots of friends who would say, especially at night or really all day, they would, when they nurse their baby, they would 
fall asleep. There's, you know, the oxytocin that kind of mm-hmm. lulls them to sleep and lulls yeah. the mom to sleep too sometimes. Mm. Um, yeah. So what would you then suggest? Because it's not, you would never say, well, you should stop nursing at night. What would you suggest to those moms to, to maybe kind of help with that process? At least maybe I would think what after the first month or two. Yeah, I think at first it's not that big of a deal. Am I wrong? Um, yes and no. Um, so what I would say is if, if you were to start working with me from a newborn stage, so we would start at like two weeks, we do not start sleep training this young. What we start at two weeks is healthy sleep habits and, um, helping that child work towards independent sleep skills. 12 weeks is when we actually start considering sleep training and really implementing independent sleep skills to prepare for that four month sleep regression. Um, which we talked about in depth on the previous um, podcast we did together. So listeners can go back and listen to that four-month sleep regression. Um, But to answer your question, in those first 12 weeks, we really, especially in the first four weeks, we really want mom and baby to be full-on bonding. That is my priority at that time. And I think it's very common for nursing moms. um, That can really help in their healing. It can help with postpartum depression to be nursing actively in the way that works for them. So I really don't with new clients or new moms like to give them any hard and fast rules at that time about nursing. You're still trying to develop um, good nursing habits, still trying to make sure that it's working for you and your body and your baby. And that is for me as a consultant, that's my priority. Maybe not for everyone, but that's my priority is really working on that bond and that relationship. And then between like four and 12 weeks, what I would recommend is that um, you try to practice, even if you want to nurse, you know, right before bedtime or right before a nap, um, that's your choice, even though that might not be what I would recommend, but really trying not to get to that drowsy state and still laying baby down awake. Um, And so this helps disassociate feeding and sleeping. Um, And this is true on the wake up side as well. So let's say baby wakes up at 630 in the morning, you go in, you get baby instead of hooking baby up right away to nurse. And so only, you know, two minutes has gone by since they woke up, putting in a diaper change and doing some morning hygiene just to separate a little bit, wake up to feed um, can really help set baby up for success in that they're disassociating this idea of I wake up, I cry, I'm nursed. Um, and so that way you can start to, this really helps with early morning wake-ups um, and start setting good habits for that disassociation. And then that way you're not creating a prop with nursing. And same really goes for bottle feeding too, but obviously it's not quite the same hormone release that you were mentioning um, when you're nursing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that would be what I would recommend that moms that are nursing think about is just don't worry about it in the first four weeks. Then after that, it's really just being mindful that nursing to sleep is not a bad thing, but it will eventually have a repercussion and you just have to decide, you know, what's more important to you for someone. It might be, this is, this is the bond that I have, and this is what I want to prioritize and sleep's not a big deal for me. If you're having sleep problems this might be something to look at. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So for those wishing to consider sleep training, when mm-hmm. would be the best time to do that? 
Well, I chose to do it after the four month sleep regression. And that is a, uh, it's a very common time to do it. Um, but it's not the easiest time to do it. It's actually, in my opinion, one of the hardest times to do it. Um, so now that I'm have baby number two, you better believe I will have our entire 12 week, uh, newborn sleep plan as my guidebook with this child so that I can start those good sleep habits, um, you know, from week two, day one. Um, so that I can, instead of, you know, being reactive, I can be proactive with my child's sleep. Um, but I would say, you know, 12 weeks is when we start um, working on sleep training. So if you're a really type A parent, you know, that sleep, uh, excuse me, that sleep is important to you. And this is something you want to prioritize. If you know that you're going back to work between 12 and 16 weeks or sooner, I would highly recommend you start in the four to eight week window where you're not really sleep training, but we're trying to set baby up for success. So maybe you don't even have to deal with the four month sleep regression in the same way that other parents might. Um, that really, I guess in the end I've learned is the ideal way to go about it. But I think for a lot of parents, sometimes it's a hard reality to, if you don't know what to expect, it's hard to say, well, I definitely want to invest in this on the front end because you don't really know what you're getting into. Um, and so I would just tell parents that if you are in that four to six month window and you're really, um, unsure, like how much longer you can keep waking up multiple times a night, um, there's no reason to wait. I think every client always says, I wish I had done this sooner. So rather than drag yourself through the ringer, you might as well just hop on board and get it taken care of. So everybody's sleeping and feeling their best. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, if you just set up the good habits from the get-go, you shouldn't even really need to quote unquote sleep train. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that makes that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, I crazy. wish I'd known that the first go around, but I'll right. take it the second go around. You know, I, yep. I will say I knew much more about about, you know, setting up good sleep habits for infants with Cameron, my second. And while he did wake up in the middle of the night longer. Still, overall, his sleep habits were so much better. There was no regression. Although, patients never really had. Like, I think I've just had lucky, good sleepers. I I, I really pat myself do. on the back, but I don't think it was mm-hmm. all me. <laughs> They're just really good sleepers. I think I just got lucky, truthfully. Hey, well, some people do, and I I've definitely had parents who come to me with their third or fourth child. Like, I never had to do this. I don't know yeah. what I'm doing wrong, and I have to remind people, just like the three of us, everybody is different. And so what might've worked for one child might not work for another child. And like you, maybe you did just get lucky with your first two or three. And with this one, you're going to have to do something different Mm -hmm. and that's okay. At least you found a resource. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My my little Piper didn't She, It was, (laughs) it was a long 13, 15 months. I don't even remember. Uh, anyway, so we, yeah. this is, we can all agree a pretty stressful time for all of us. Um, yeah. that includes our little ones. So Gina, well, you still have a toddler. I have a, my youngest is now four. Um, but it's definitely not a toddler anymore. I think of two, three as being toddler. Okay. Now she's like a preschooler, but I would say young child, young child. <laughs> They're, they're they're young, um, but I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to kids, especially toddlers, sneaking into our beds when stress is heightened or they're having trouble falling asleep. Can you speak at all as to how to handle those types of situations um, 
or for children who may be a bit more stressed during this mm-hmm. time specifically and therefore are having some sleep inter- interruptions or regressions. Sure. And I will say um, it's actually rare that sleep consultants work um, past the ages of two or five, but we actually work with kids up until the age of 10. Mm-hmm. And um, I have had more uh, what I would call older older toddlers, younger children um, during COVID than I have ever before. Um, and I do think that that's because once you hit really above three, they really start to absorb. They're like sponges. And we are so stressed as parents and caregivers. Um, and that really starts to impact them. Um, some of the reasons that the older kids um, start to regress are are related to their surroundings. It's, it's no longer, you know, a feed to sleep association or a pacifier. These are about real anxieties and stressors that they're either experiencing themselves or that they're um, that's in their environment from their parents that they feed off of. Um, and so if you're at home with uh, a toddler or a school age child and you're starting to see regressions from a, a child that had always been a good sleeper, um, some of the tips I always give to parents are make sure that you're carving out every single day, at least 10 to 15 minutes of one-on-one time that is dedicated to that individual child. If you have multiple children, this needs to be 10 to 15 minutes per child of one-on-one time where your phone is away. You're not also trying to make dinner. Like this is time for them. Um, And for younger kids, this is really just one-on-one playtime. For older kids, this might be a good time to connect with them and see how their school day went, see if there's any anxiety that they're having about friends or schoolwork or anything else that might be going on. And if that's the case, that time needs to be far before bedtime. Because one mistake I find parents often make is they start to talk around the dinner table and dinner comes right before bedtime. And so something that, you know, this Johnny hadn't been thinking about, and then we sit down at dinner and we say, how was your day? And something comes out about school that has Johnny anxious. Well, now he's upset about it. And now we're going into bedtime and now he's thinking about it. And so really just being mindful of conversation about how you're interacting and talking with your children and then really making sure that they have that attention time each and every day, that alone can make a huge impact. Um, we really say that kids under five shouldn't be going to bed much later than 8 PM. And I think that's also something that, especially with COVID, it was like an extension of the summer. Um, so (laughs) parents kind of fall out of those good habits in the summer because you're out late, you're doing things. It's nice outside. Um, and then it's like, oh, well, we're all still here and nobody has to go to school. So we'll just keep doing this longer. And now you've been doing this for like four or five months. It's really hard to get them back on a sleep track. Um, so 6 to 8 p.m. is the guideline for bedtime for kids really up until the age of three or four. And then after that, we're still before 9 p.m. Um, for sure up until the age of five. So really being mindful of that and also always having bedtime routine from day one. Yeah. You still have a bedtime routine and as an adult, it shouldn't be any different for your child. Makes sense. And I think you gave more specific recommendations as far as how many hours uh, the different age groups need of sleep as I'm, I'm kind of trying to calculate all the, the hours. I think you said that in the episode 27, you gave a recommendation, oh, specific recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for um, kids, I was saying earlier for zero to three, 
It's usually 14 to 17 hours of total sleep in a day for our kids that are four to 11 months. So just under a year, we're still at 12 to 15 hours of sleep in a 24 hour period. And then for our toddlers, if they're one to two, um, usually between 11 and 14 hours of sleep in a 24 hour period. So that's still a lot. I mean, I'm just trying to point this out. I have a two year old, two and a half year old. And he is still in a 24 hour period of time sleeping more than 12 hours in a 24 hour period. So I think a lot of times that's where it starts to break down is around the age of two. Um, And then for our three to five year olds, um, still 10 to 13 hours of sleep. And the most common age uh, to drop the nap is three. So that's where we start to see that adjustment change. You might have a two year old that's sleeping 10 or 11 hours at night, but they're still taking a nap. But then when they drop their nap, now they need more nighttime sleep. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, so. we're going through that right now for sure. <laughs> like on the weekends, we don't have we don't give him a nap. But when he goes to school, he gets a nap. And I think he's mm-hmm. just all confused. But we're just trying to sort of wean him, wean him off. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Nicole, did you have any other questions for Hallie? I don't think so. It's. Uh, just great to, for you know people to know all this stuff before those bad habits creep in because I feel like doing it out of the gates is way easier. Mm-hmm. Not easy, but easier than dealing with it after kind of the bad habits have formed and yeah. some unhealthy sleep routines. Setting good intentions is really the the summary here yep. for me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Hallie. We really appreciate Absolutely. it. And yes, we wish you, you the best of luck. We know you have a son. What's your second one? Do you know yet? It, another boy. We like to keep another the boy. chaos. It's not the chaos live <laughs> around here. <laughs> nice. Love it. Oh, boys are the best. Sorry, Do you have a name on. yet? <laughs> um, we have one in our back pocket, but we had a list when we went to the hospital with uh, Lane, our, our son now, and Lane was not on the list and we just <laughs> pulled it out of thin air. So I'm not committed to anything yet. Uh-huh. Well, good luck to you. And we really appreciate um, all your wisdom. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. What about Mom Wins? Favorite new product or recipes? Nicole, you have anything? I do. It is a very simple pineapple chicken recipe. Very like takeout-ish type of flavors, but in all the best ways. So super simple, like cornstarch on some raw chicken breasts and you just saute them up and then move that over to a plate. And then you saute up some, I like quadrupled the bell peppers. I think it called for one and I used four and some canned pineapple uh, in natural juices. And that's about a very simple sauce. It was like the um, pineapple juice from the can and a little bit of soy sauce and some cornstarch and boom, boom, boom. It was really good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, like link- I like pineapple. I like chicken. I'm together. I'm sure they make a, a delicious pair. With like a sweet sticky sauce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 20, 25 minutes. Loved it. Perfect. That's my style right there. So speaking of simple, I made this. My A friend of mine sent me a text a couple of weeks ago. You have to make this, Gina. It's a simple bean and pasta dish. And at first I was like, the bean pasta it just sounds bleh. But I started looking at the recipe and I was really, I was intrigued by it. And I made it today and it is definitely simple. It's a one pot dish. It does call for an extra finishing sauce that you can add at the end, which is like a little bit of oil that you saute in a pan, add some seasoning to, and then kind of drizzle it over the bean and pasta dish. I didn't even do that, honestly. And it is so good. So it's basically white beans, uh, little, I think I used, or I did, I used orzo pasta, 
tomato paste, garlic, and oil, olive oil. What else? Rosemary. It was just really, really good. I was hoping the kids would eat it, but of course they did not. <laughs> and usually Paige will try stuff. And actually, I was kind of surprised she didn't eat it, but I, th- I just don't think she was very hungry, truthfully. I added some spinach as well, just for some color and some more nutrients. But it was filling and delicious. That sounds really uh, so good. I will make that again. Yes. Nick didn't say anything about it. He ate some, but he, he was at a loss for words. I'm not sure if it was a good or a bad thing, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a good Can't thing. Can't wow him every night, you know? He is because he's picky. I don't know. I, I know. I'm I am honestly at a point, Nicole, where I am so sick of cooking for my family. They they just don't eat what I make. It's just it's frustrating. I, and I'm I'm getting I don't know. I'm I'm getting a little bit upset about it. I I just I make these you know, large batches of food and yeah. I'm the only one that ends up eating it. And I hate it. It's a waste. I don't know. I'm don't kind know of there I'm with do. you, actually. Are you? Yeah. That makes me feel better because I feel like your kids eat everything. Mm. They <laughs> did. I mean, once upon a time. <laughs> I mean, they're still better than a lot of children probably. But, um, you know, it's just not worth a fight anymore. Like, usually we could do like a thumbs up, thumbs down or thumbs sideways. And I get a lot of like sideways thumbs. So it's one of those things, like if they're hungry, they're going to eat it. Um, if they're not, they're not. I don't know. Yeah, sure. it's, it's hard, though. It's definitely hard. I think they get over snacked at school still. I think they have their mm-hmm. their afternoon snack too late and then they're just not hungry when they come home. And it drives me nuts. I mean, I know we've talked about it before, but I swear on the weekends, all I do is feed them. It's like yep. I just get done with breakfast and we're on to snack and then snacks yep. done and I, the kitchen's clean. and It's like on to lunch. And Oh. oh my gosh. It's, oh my gosh. I, I, I these little people Nick, are exhausting me. If I had all the money in the world, I would hire someone to cook all my meals, do all my cleaning of, of the kitchen. Like it drives me. Maybe I wouldn't. I don't know. It is my nemesis. I do. I feel like I am in the kitchen 100% of my day, either cooking or cleaning. Mm-hmm. I just, oh gosh, it drives me nuts. I'm, I'm in a rut right now for sure. Mm-hmm. I know there's worse things in the world, but I'm just venting for a moment. (laughs) Okay. So time to read a review. This is from Concerned Grain. It says, listen, it's so fun to hear two different perspectives on their interesting topics. Anyone can relate to either host's experiences. They cover a wide variety of intriguing subjects and they keep episodes light and joyful. Long time prevention RD reader. Do you have any idea who this is? No, but I posted (laughs) on my Instagram when they left the review. Like, Serious, like that is the nicest review, and that is really nice. I mean, when you blog, Gina, yeah. you know there was comments galore. Like everybody commented on blogs. Like that was the thing. Like, yeah. did you even read it if you didn't comment? Now nobody comments. Nobody, nobody does comments anymore. on blogs. I'm like, this is so. Un- I'm, I'm not going to say unfulfilling. I'm like, I see you out there reading. I mean, I my blog gets thousands of hits a day, but yeah. like nobody comments, so they don't. Say- and I, words of affirmation is my love language. So when I got that review, I was like, oh my gosh, she's feeding my soul. Aww. I assume it's a she. Um, I don't know. Right. But it was very sweet. Oh my sweet. gosh. That's no so idea. funny. It's so true. It's one of the reasons I hated the blog because I felt obligated to read and then comment on everyone else's blog. It was, you know, common courtesy. Like you had to do it. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. All right, moving on. Coming on up on January 3rd, we will be dishing about our 2021 wellness goals for the third time. Um, they just keep getting better. Until then, keep in touch with us on social media at Dietitian's Dish Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and check out all of our episodes and show notes on our website, dietitiansdishpodcast.com. 
Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. If you listen on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it only takes a few seconds. All right. Until next time, everyone, be well. And Nicole, talk to you soon. Take care, Gina. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.